I wonder, what do you think of when you think of spiritual maturity? Somebody who is spiritually mature. I think the first thought that tends to come to our mind might be age. It might be the the length of time that somebody's been a Christian or following Jesus. And it does take time and effort to, to grow spiritually and to grow in our faith, but there are some people who grow older, but they never get mature. <laughs> That's just a fact, right? So that, that when, and then another possibility is somebody's, they appear spiritually mature. They say the right things. They, they talk the talk, but maybe they don't walk the walk. And I think there are people who know a lot of Bible verses, pray a lot of eloquent prayers out loud or appear that way, but inside they're still immature. And then maybe it's, it's achievement or pedigree of some sort that somebody has Bible degrees or seminary degrees, so they must be spiritually mature, but we know that's not the case either. We're, we're in the book of James, for those of you that are just joining us. We've been going through just section by section through the book of, of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he writes this letter to what appears to be a Jewish Christian audience, and man... Is it practical? But it also is, um, it's a tough letter. It's, there's some things you're going, we have to dig out what was he writing about and what was going on then and how does that apply to us today? And so I think as I've been, I've probably read James 30 times in my life, at least. And yet teaching it has helped me realize deeper that I think as James investigated what was going on in his audience, he came to the conclusion that these guys appear mature, but they're really not. Because the book of James is about how do we live out what's happened to us on the inside? We've been changed. We, we received the gospel. What does that look like then? What's expected? And what should be happening in our lives? So what I believe he's talking about is a maturing faith. And so what we're going to dig into today is how do we mature in our faith? Three simple things from uh, the section that I'm going to teach from in James this morning. The first thing I want you to write down is if I'm going to grow in my faith, mature in my faith, I need to keep the right perspectives. You've got to have God's perspectives when it comes to life. You've got to have his perspective when it comes to answering the big questions of life. Why am I here? Why do I exist? What's the purpose of my life? Um, and to answer those questions through what God has to say. So keeping the right perspective. Here's what James says. We're picking it up in verse 13 of chapter 4 where we left off last week. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Okay, James, let's get right after it, right? Like he has been doing this whole letter. And what I think we'll miss the point if we think somehow James is saying that life is insignificant, that's not what he's saying. Our lives are significant. Your life has impact. What he's saying is life is fragile. And you, when 
you compare the amount of years that we get in this world to eternity, it's a little blip on the radar screen. It's a small, small amount of time. And that's what he's saying. Life is fragile, and it's, and it's so short compared to eternal life. It's so short compared to eternity. And I think this is important. I, I heard somebody say this one time before. I thought this was applicable for us today. If, if any of us in this room ever were part of a play or a theater or something like that, you have to do a dress rehearsal. You get all in costume the night before. There's no one in the audience, really, but you do a dress rehearsal. You're practicing for opening night in the shows after that. Life is a dress rehearsal for eternity. When you have that perspective that what, what we do in this life impacts eternity and goes on into eternity. And so let's live now with the perspective of we're his and what is life going to be like in eternity. So I want to summarize what, what I just read, those three verses, in kind of a contrasting immature faith with, a, with mature faith. I'm going to do that through, throughout this text that we're reading this morning. But let's compare and contrast that a little bit. Now, he was talking about, you know, well, maybe we'll do this. You're, you say, maybe we'll do this, maybe we'll do that. And he says, you don't know how much time you have. So I would say this, procrastination says, I have time, right? Who's good at procrastinating, right? Some of us, it's a gift. You, you put it off, right? You procrastinate. And you always somehow justify it in your mind, I have time. I have time to get to that. But I think the reality is we really don't know how much time we have. That's the sense of urgency that I think James is trying to get at here. We don't know how much time we really have. Anything can happen. God never promised a long lifespan for everybody. Somewhere we get that in our mind, and that's why when somebody's life maybe is shorter than somebody else's, we, we, there's a sense of you know, unfairness or somehow in that. Do you know that in the 1800s, just 200 years ago, the average lifespan was like 30 to 40 years old? So a lot of us in this room are beyond that. So if we lived in the 1800s, we'd be gone. We, we, we would be into eternity. Now, over, and that doesn't seem like long, very long. That seems like you're, you're a kid in your 30s still, you know? You're still figuring things out. Ten generations later, that estimation of lifespan has doubled to like 75, somewhere in that for, for the entire world. But still... 75 years, 80 years, even 100 years. That is so short in comparison to eternity. It's like the, the country song says, don't blink, right? Don't blink because life is just continually flying by. Those of you that are young in this room, when the younger you are, the slower life goes. But as you age, life begins to just fly by. And I've said this a thousand times. You know, I woke up and I was 50. And I was going to write a book called I Woke Up and I Was 50. And now I'm 51 and I'm going to have to be on 50, you know, because I haven't got around to it yet. But does not life fly by? Like, don't blink. And, and it, it's so important that we have, understand that. I was watching a movie the other day and it was about a pastor in a small town in a small church. And the movie itself is irrelevant. In the, what, there was something that they said that stuck with me. 
And this pastor was talking to the choir director, and they were watching these teenagers sing. And she said to the pastor, she said, you remember when you looked like that, when you had your whole life ahead of you? Talking to a guy in his 40s, right? You know, because you're, you're, at the, you're in your 40s, you're at the clubhouse uh, turning to the back nine, right? And, and you, re- you really are. So it's important that we, we realize maybe we don't have time. But maturing faith, a faith that is maturing says, live like you're dying. Did you catch that two famous country songs in the first point? <laughs> Boom. When I was a youth pastor, um, I, one night uh, on youth group night, I had all the kids show up with flashlights, and I took them to a cemetery. <laughs> and uh, I told them, go walk around the cemetery, look at all of the different headstones, See what people say, how long did they live, you know, just go do some investigating, and then contemplate a little bit. And as we gathered back together, I said, what, 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 did you, what were some of the conclusions you came up with? And some of the kids said, like, man, some people just really short lives. Some others said, man, life was really long. And, and then I, I focused back to that old poem, you know, what did you do in, in, in between the, in the dash there? The year you were born to the year you, you died. That's the dash in between. What did you do with that? That is more important than how long you live. The measure of a great life is not its length, it's its influence. It's its influence on on others. And so I I would say this this morning, you might think wherever you're at in life, man, I've done nothing but fail. I've done nothing but make mistakes. How can I do this? Well, you know what? That's the power of the gospel. The good news of Jesus is he gives you a fresh start, and you're barely scratching the surface as his followers because eternity is going to be with him forever and ever and ever. He took your failures and mistakes to the cross. If you'll trust in him, never forget that. And he'll take, take those failures, and he'll work it for good. Who knows? Maybe you can help others learn from your mistakes. Like That's something that God is in the business of doing. Another thing that, that, that I would compare and contrast with immature faith and mature faith is lack of understanding says God is real, but he's not involved in the details of my life. That's what James's audience was. Ah, maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll do that. You know, f- fly by the seat of our pants. We put way too much stock into fate versus the sovereignty of God, the, the leading of God. That is so important. So maturing faith, then, on the other hand, says God is real and very involved in every detail of my life. So I would tell you, talk to God about everything. Talk to God about things that even seem insignificant to you. Include him in everything. How often do you see in a movie a story, you know, uh, God, you're too busy for this little simple thing that I'm asking for. I mean, we've seen that. And yet God would say, too busy. He's the great I am. He's everywhere all the time, and he can hear all the prayers of everybody at the same time and still have a personal relationship with us. Include him in everything. Because you know what? There's no small thing. There's no insignificant thing to God. You never know. You never know what seems insignificant to us, whether it be a choice or whatever we're doing, could be a domino in God's leading and sovereignty. I'll give you a great example. Years ago, we've been to the Dominican Republic five times. 
right, as a church. And I've been five times, and, and like over 100 people from Novation have gone on short-term mission to the Dominican. That came about, it wasn't just let's play roulette, boom, there's, we touched the Dominican because we had to be in the Caribbean, right? If you're going to go on a mission trip, that's where you want to go. But it came through Chad and Tammy Wallace talking to Seth and Danielle Woodyard, who are outreach directors, about maybe going to the Dominican and prayed about it. Okay, let's do it. Well, what seemed insignificant five years ago, man. We met Kiko, who is a missionary that we support. He's a local Dominican. Built an incredible relationship with him. Go to the same sugarcane village every year and watch the growth of the people. Like, I get off the bus, and they'll be like, hey, Scott, hey, Scott. I'm like, they don't speak English, or, and I don't speak Spanish, but I'm like, what's up? I know their names. And we're Facebook friends now. Isn't that crazy? But the impact that, that has had on, on the little church and on us and on our youth group, And all the things that are there, it seemed insignificant at the time, but man, it was a domino effect. Second thing, if we're going to mature or keep maturing in our faith, is I need to keep the right priorities. Keep the right perspectives, keep the right priorities. Priorities are everything in life. In verse 17, he picks up of chapter 4 and then into chapter 5, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it is a sin for them. Now listen, you rich people. If you don't think that's you, you are rich. Every person in this room is rich compared to 98% of the world. Like we are all rich. But he says, now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted And moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Um, okay, <laughs> let's be honest. You read that, and you go, what is going on here? Who's he, who's he talking to? Well, I think it's, it's, it's important to probably know there was some sort of specific context of these people that James was writing to where they were not handling their money in a Christ-like way. They were not good uh, employers, and they were, you, you, you want to search the Bible for what things that really make God mad? One of them is when the poor are exploited for the, so that the rich make more money. That is all over the scriptures. That, that makes God mad. That, that, that frustrates God. But I think it's important to realize this. There's two kinds of rich. There's a good rich, and there's a bad rich. Not good rich tires and not a guy named rich, like poor bad rich. There's a good rich and there's a bad rich. I didn't know if that was going to make anyone laugh because I, like, that was, I didn't know if I should say that. Uh, thank you. I feel a lot better. Um, two questions to ask because obviously James, his audience was not doing right when it came to their money and what they were doing. They weren't generous. They were hoarding. 
So I think there's two questions to ask if, this is, if there's a good rich or a bad rich. First of all, how is your wealth acquired? Was it acquired through godly principles and hard work? Or was it acquired through deceit and cheating? That's bad rich versus the good rich. And then the other question to ask is, what do we do with our wealth? Because everything you have is God's to start with. Don't ever forget that. We are stewards of his stuff. You're a steward of his money. You're a steward of, of his house. All of that is his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. Now, he gives it to us to, to use and, and for our pleasure and, and all of that, but he gives it so that we will do good with it, that we'll... You know, God gives some people the ability to create worth, and they fund the kingdom of God. Create worth, create wealth, and they fund the kingdom of God. So I think it's important to look at what was the priorities of Jesus. If we're going to keep the right priorities, Jesus said that he came to do the will of the Father. The will of the Father was his number one priority. Can we say that? Is God doing God's will the number one priority of your life? Jesus' priority was to use his life to bring glory to the Father. Jesus spent his life on what was most important to the Father. So I would say this. In the middle of a a hard passage of Scripture, like what James just wrote there, what 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 would be the challenge for us in 2019 to us today? Well, by faith, you want to mature in your faith, Invest your life, your resources, your talent, your everything into eternal things, things that are going to last. Uh, Randy Alcorn said, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead from Matthew 6, the treasure principle. When Jesus said, you know, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust corrode, but, but invest in the kingdom of God and it'll be waiting for you on the other side. When Jesus comes back and creates the new heavens and the new earth, he's promised to reward us for our faithfulness. And it's not the amount that we, that we give and do, it's the coming from the heart of a faithfulness to God, a faithfulness to Christ. Because there is also the sad reality that there will be loss of rewards in the life to come. Somebody once put it like this, What you do with Jesus determines where you will spend eternity. What you do with your life as a Christian determines what you will do for all eternity. I think that's something for us to think about. In heaven and in the new earth, earth, we're not going to be floating around with harps and all the goofy things that people think. Like there's a reality coming, more real than we can even imagine what we're experiencing even today. There's two kinds of sin. There's the sin of commission and the sin of omission. Commission is when I commit a sin, I did something wrong. I, I said, did an action. Omission is when I should have done something and I chose not to. That's the sin of omission. And it's important because James said, if anyone knows the good they should do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. So what does that look like for us? Let's compare and contrast again. Immature faith asks the question, What is the least amount of sin I have to avoid to stay in God's grace? In other words, what can I get away with? What's the bare minimum that I have to do? Guys, that's foolishness. That's foolish talk. That should make you question whether you're really following Jesus or not, whether you've really trusted in him. 
if we get into this? What's the bare minimum? Can I get away with this and still be his? But maturing faith asks this question. Am I doing everything that Jesus told me would bring abundant life to myself and others? In other words, go all in. A maturing faith says, I want to go all in in every area of my life. Make life better for others. Make life better for others and watch what happens in your life. And then I think from this too, you can say this. Temptation says, heaven is heaven, but business is business. Meaning, yes, God is holy and heaven is perfect, etc. I got to make a buck. Don't you know my bills? I, I got to, this business is business. Those of you that own businesses, you are tempted all the time, right? People, we are tempted in everything we do. Lack of priorities in my life, lack of priorities in your life is going to bring you to being open to temptation. If you don't have things prioritized right now, then you're open to temptation. You'll fudge numbers, cheat on your taxes, tell white lies in order to get ahead. That's what, what, what immature faith does. But maturing faith responds, because heaven is heaven, business is never just business. My business is God's business. We have to ask ourselves the question, would God be pleased with these decisions? Would he be pleased with how, you know, I'm working and, and paying people and, and, and working not, not cheating. There was years ago, there was a guy that, this was pre, way pre-novation, but there was somebody that wanted to give me a car. And I wanted the car. It was a nice car. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And we were in need. And he, uh, he said, but here's how I want to do it. And he had this way that he wanted to get some sort of financial gain out of giving me the car that was shady to what, you know, taxes and things like that would have been. And, and, and he, his, he meant well. His heart was totally, he wanted to bless me. But I remember going, I, I can't take this if it's shady. I can't take this if we're lacking integrity in any way. And it kind of ticked him off a little bit when I said, I said no, but I was like, I don't care how nice a car is. I don't want to do this. I don't want to drive it every time and have my conscience you know, not clean and, and all of that. And, and so I remember, like, maybe I'm maturing in my faith a little bit here. <laughs> maybe I'm getting grown up. I went from diapers to pull-ups at that point in time. <laughs> Third and, and last thing that I, James wants to teach us about maturing in our faith is keep practicing patience and perseverance. Patience and perseverance. Here's what he says. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. 
above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned. Being patient is hard. How many agree with that? It's hard. It's a fruit of the Spirit, though. And to be patient, we, I, I say I, I want instant, man. Instant answers, instant change. I am such a results-orientated person to a fault. If I'm going to, you know, lose weight and I lose a few, boom, I'm in. If it's not working, I'm going to eat what I want to eat, right? Like, well, this isn't fun anyway. Or, or whatever it is, when you're, when you're asking God for something or you're seeking the Lord, it's hard to wait on the Lord. That's why we tend to take matters in our own hands often, right? But being patient and waiting on the Lord. We're supposed to be patient in our suffering. Talked about Job there. You know what the, one of the number one tools in God's hand to mature us is when we go through difficulty. When you go through some sort of crisis or suffering, he is going to grow our faith. So I would compare and contrast this real quick. The enemy who wants you to stay mature, immature in your faith says, God is mad at you. That's why you're suffering. And we often think that. Is God mad at me? If you're his child, he will discipline you when you disobey. He will. So you can know there's two possibilities when you're going through some form of suffering or not. Number one, is, is it a disobedience to what God, you know, his principles, what I know God wants me to do? God disciplines sometimes just by allowing consequences to happen, right? We learn from, most of the time from consequences. And those things, we're like, I don't want to repeat that again. But God, as a perfect father, like he disciplines, he never disciplines in anger and retribution. His discipline is out of love, and it's for training and correction. So any parent in this room, when you discipline your children, don't let it be out of retribution. It's got to be for training and, and, and correcting them from a heart of love. But the second possibility when you're suffering is, it's life, right? This isn't heaven. Sometimes stuff just happens, and we want to spiritualize everything and yell at the devil and all of that every time we get sick or whatever. And you know what? We're in a fallen world. It's not been, the world has not been redeemed yet. That's when the new heavens and the new earth happen at the second coming of Christ. There'll be no sin, no sickness, no sorrow in the life to come. But in this life, Jesus said, you're going to have trials and suffering of all kinds. But take courage, I've overcome the world. So we shouldn't be shocked or caught off guard. Stuff happens in, in, in this life. So when the devil says that God's mad at you, he's not mad at you. He's working his purposes in your life. So the response back to that is maturing faith says, I need to consider it pure joy when I go through trials because it will produce perseverance in me. Joel taught that on the chapter one, the very first message in this series. The more, when you're not to consider the pain joy, right? Or whatever it is you're going through, that's not the joy. The joy that we're to consider is on the other end of this trial, I'm going to be more godly. I'm going to be more like Christ. I'm going to learn. I'm going to, because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to let people down. They're going to let you down. Life is, is, is full of that. And when you suffer because of life, just remember on the other end, it's going to produce perseverance. Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on the Lord 
will renew their strength and rise up on the wings of eagles. Instead of the, the instant, we need to learn to, to persevere and be patient. And then lastly, the small faith says this, why me? Why am I going through this? This isn't fair. It's easy to become a victim when you go through difficulties in life and say, why me? This isn't fair. And I, I, I've said this before. We want God often to be our avoider rather than our deliverer, right? Help me avoid any pain. Help me avoid any situations. You know what? He definitely does that. But God also has promised to be our deliverer, that when we're in the middle of something, he will take us. He'll walk with us hand in hand and deliver us out of whatever it is that you're struggling with. Let him be your deliverer today. You know, I had this thought. We would not know what hope really is unless you experience suffering and despair. You wouldn't know what to hope, what to hope in. Because if my hope is built on something that can be taken away, then I don't really have, I have a false hope. If your hope is in your marriage, your kids, your money, your this, that all can be taken away. What we have in Christ can't be taken away, and it's the promise of eternal life with him forever and ever. So maturing faith, I think, in a sense says, why not me? <laughs> or who am I that I should avoid suffering? My mom suffered greatly. She passed away last March. I would say for the last 10 years of her life, she suffered physically over and over and over. And I thought, Mom, I'm so sorry. And she was like, you know, don't feel sorry for me. You know, why not me? And I was, I was really proud of her faith and the way she was able to withstand that because I get a sniffle and I'm like, Jesus, take me home. I'm ready to go. You know, I'm the worst sick person. Pain, you know, Lord, I got a hangnail. I'm over. It's done. I got, I got some salt in it. It's over. Maturing faith says this. No matter what, I will hope in him because the best is yet to come. Job said in all of his trials, if you've never read the book of Job, Job went through more than anybody. I read Job recently because Job happened about Genesis chapter 10. And so I'm reading the Bible chronologically this year. And he said, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. What a, a word of faith, like. No matter what happens, my hope's in him. This looks crazy. I got physical problems. Everybody around me that I loved is gone. But I'm going to hope in him. That's what mature faith does. So here's the challenge. Don't think of your future as in just this life. Those of you that are young in this room, don't just think of what's life going to be like when you're an old fart like me at 51 or older. Don't just think that way. That's narrow-minded thinking. Think of eternity. And everything you do with this life has positive and negative consequences in this life. And you're preparing yourself for the life to come. And no matter how long a life you get or you don't get or what happens in your life, the best is yet to come. As good as life can be, the best is still yet to come. Second, 1 Corinthians 2.9 no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever conceived for what God has for those who love him. Man, like we can't even conceive it. We get glimpses of it, obviously, but the best is yet to come. 
So I would say this to you. After hearing what James has to say, if you would be honest with yourself, maybe just close your eyes for a second and just let's don't be distracted. Do you feel like you're going in the right direction towards maturing in your faith? Ask yourself that question. Am I going in the right direction in maturing in my faith? And sometimes we do, we, we do take two steps backwards before we take three forward. But is your heart directed towards, God, I want to be like you. God, I want to spend my life living in your perspective and having the right priorities. If you were to go from maybe a scale of one to ten, ten being the best, so no one gets a ten, <laughs> between one and ten, where would you put yourself on maturing in your faith? If you can't give yourself much of a, of a high score or you're feeling conviction, then I would say this to you. Would you be willing to commit to pursuing it? And to pers the first step in pursuing spiritual maturity is letting Jesus have his way in your life. Stop being the boss of your own life. Stop calling the shots. It's all of our biggest problems. We don't make Jesus Lord and Savior. He already is. You simply say, Lord, I acknowledge you are my Savior. I acknowledge that I want to follow you as Lord. If you've never done that today, just say, Lord, you're my Savior. You're my, you're my Lord. I want to follow you. Be the boss of my life. Teach me how to obey. Teach me how to follow you in every area of my life. Would you stand with me? Father, as we go today after hearing these words, thank you for your conviction. Thank you for the Spirit. I pray for all of us, Lord, to keep growing in you. Maybe for some of us, that steps, the first step is today. Lord, there's a lot of people that have been walking with you a long time. Help them to continue to remember that we're never going to arrive this side of heaven. But we want to continue to grow and become like you. Thank you that salvation doesn't hinge upon our performance. It hinges on the perfect one who lived a perfect life and died a brutal death so that we could have eternal life. Lord Jesus, let us live out practically who we are positionally in you. Thank you for your healing. In Jesus' name.